Breakfast Business with Enterprise Ireland on News Talk. And it is the 24th of February 2023, which means exactly a year ago the war started. Oil prices soared and with them the cost of living. Confidence evaporated and interest rates climbed rapidly. That's just some of the issues that initiated a year ago. And in doing so, it started an inflection point in history which could change things politically and economically for decades. Let's pause and assess the economic impact with Dan O'Brien from the Institute of International and European Affairs. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Joe. I suppose the oil price shock, Dan, was the biggest global impact of the war. Uh, Brent crude, for example, reached around $130 at one point and consumers and companies were paying multiples to heat their homes and businesses from what they were paying. Yeah, certainly the oil market was shocked. The European gas market was even more so in the sense that prices just went through the roof and they'd already been going up because the Russians had started playing with the gas market even before the invasion. Um, so that made inflation even worse. Let's remember that inflation was already on the rise before the invasion, so we can't blame inflation entirely on the war. That's only a part of the issue, but certainly it made that worse. And by making the inflation problem worse uh, in our part of the world, uh, it also made interest rates uh, forced central bank to put up interest rates more. So there's been a, a double whammy effect. But I would say, Joe, that for Ireland and most of the rest of Europe, the actual economic impact of the war, putting aside the appalling humanitarian catastrophe, just for a moment to focus on the economics, that it has been much less than many people thought. So it's, of course, a huge moment in history, as you say, for Europe. But in terms of the hard economic impact for Western Europe, it's actually been quite limited. Um, the European Union has given Ukraine 67 billion euro over the past year. Uh, when does that start to bite in the EU finances? And when does the EU come back to the member states and ask for more money to keep that uh, financial river flowing? Well, you know, in the context of the European Union, that sort of money is not too big. It's it's not it's not change, but it's not too big. So I don't think it's going to have uh, an impact on the finances of the entire EU. It is doable, um, and let's say we have to do that because Ukraine. While we have had very limited in- impact from the war, the Ukrainian economy, again, apart from the tens of thousands of people killed, millions of people who've been pushed out of their homes, their economy has been absolutely devastated in numerous ways. So in order to rebuild the Ukrainian economy, we're going to have to help uh, finance that. Um, it'll be expensive, but it's not going to be you know, a game changer for us in Western Europe. Um, the Irish economy has also stepped in. The Irish government has also stepped in over the past year and mitigated the impact of the energy shock and the inflation shock and other things. I just wonder whether that has set a dangerous precedent for when the next crisis, which may not be as profound, happens? Well, there's no doubt. I suppose the ultimate precedent is COVID in terms of massive government intervention. As you say, government has stepped in uh, to cushion the effects of higher energy prices. That's absolutely the case. But it, it was very small compared to the scale of the intervention around COVID. Now, there may be a point that that, that is sort of implicit in your question, that maybe we've got too used to every time something goes wrong, government comes in and bails us all out. Um, so far, that's working out okay. 
um, certainly in COVID. Is that because uh, we're huge. lucky, Dan, that, you know, the, the money coming in from the FDI sector in this country has kept flowing, you know, without any inter- interruption over the last few years? Yeah, that's definitely. Ireland's in a better position than most countries. We're growing more rapidly than nearly any other country in the developed world. Uh, our public finances are in better shape and our labour market, as yesterday's figures show, you know, we were adding about one and a half thousand jobs a week in the economy in the final months of last year, which was, you know, a very solid growth in jobs. So we are doing very well. We had been doing very well. Um, but I, I think the that lesson around uh, the intervention around COVID uh, those government interventions proved effective. That had they not happened, it's likely the economy, economies would have gone deeper into recession and more long-lasting recession. So I suppose the advocates of government intervention, uh, there's always a debate in, in economics and in politics about how much governments should intervene. I think the last couple of years have certainly favoured those who prefer government intervention or maybe instinctively like governments to intervene. Um, those interventions have proved to be uh, quite successful. Up to this point, again, it may be that in the future we find that the overall net effects have not turned out, but certainly at this juncture, both in terms of COVID and in terms of dealing with the Iraq war, government interventions do appear to have cushioned the effect. They will cost something, but uh, that that price looks as if it was worth paying at this juncture. I mentioned at the start uh, that we had an inflection point uh, last year uh, with this war in the global economy. I wonder whether we're heading towards a bipolar world because Russia has now been frozen out of the Western economy, but China is still very much trading and so is India to a certain extent. Very much so. Um, I think the impact, I'm talking to you from from Taipei um, in East Asia, where um, the role of China is, of course, huge, and that the Asian economies are are growing well and have have come through this uh, quite well. Um, But there is a realization in the Western world that if, if what happened with Russia Happened, happens with China, we could be in for a bigger eruption, a rupture. I think it's important to say that excluding energy, Russia doesn't really matter. Okay. It's an mm-hmm. economy the size of Spain that focuses that really is somebody has joked that it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a petrol station attached to a country. Mm-hmm. Um, so that Russia doesn't actually matter that much in the world economy, particularly if you take out energy. China is very, very different kettle of fish. And if there was to be a conflict in East Asia, um, that would really change things because you know, just to throw out a stat from from the EU as as uh, in total, that if of every one euro we spend on imported stuff from the rest of the world, um, for every five euro, excuse me, one goes to China. Mm. So China is our biggest source of imports, and that's a whole range of goods from you know plastic stuff that that we can live without to much more important stuff that we get, we can't live without, like medical equipment or pharmaceuticals. So China is really important, and if we had. Um, a rupture with China of the kind that has happened with much bigger. Uh, Russia, it would be huge economically. Uh, and even if we don't have a rupture, it's clear that relations between China and Europe, the US, are deteriorating, and that is having an effect on how we think about our integration, economic integration with China. Okay. On that, that note, we will uh, stop it there. Dan, thank you so much. That's Dan O'Brien from the IIEA. Back in a moment. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR. Weekday mornings at 7 on News Talk.